Good morning. Y'all doing all right? You know, speaking of the uh, workers of the kingdom, it's very hot. And I know this because I work outside. It's hot. But think on this. A natural illustration God gives us. If you think it's hot here, the hottest flames on earth cannot touch the soul of man, but the flames of hell will burn man's soul for all eternity. Good illustration to use. But before that, tell them about the love of God and trust Jesus. Y'all need, y'all okay? Okay. The great harlot. Our text is, of course, Revelation 17, verses 1 through 6. I'd like to begin with perhaps an unusual introduction. In his work, Introduction to the Creek of Hegel's Philosophy of the Right, published back in 1844, Karl Marx wrote this, quote, Religion is the opium of the masses, end of quote. It's his opinion that it was a tool of the ruling class to suppress the working class, Karl Marx believed if you distribute everything to everyone's needs, there will be no more class warfare. Everyone would be happy, and it would be a much of a, uh, a wonderful environment on earth, uh, kind of a uh, heaven on earth type of thing. And he said religion is like an opiate. It offered a kind or immediate comfort and it released you from reality, however, it did not, la- did not offer any lasting comfort or solutions. Now, many believe there is a sense in which that phrase, religion is the opium of the masses, is true. People are religious because God's created us to be worshipers. Now, I have to make a side note here. This is my Tim's simple definition. Religion. Religion can be defined as man's attempt to reach God. In other words, you go about doing different works in order to appease or make favor with God, and hopefully over a period of time you've got enough good works that you can get into heaven. Christianity says you cannot do that. Anything you consider a good work is rags of filthiness. What we need is a Savior, Jesus Christ. That's God reaching down to man through his son Christ, and reconciling man unto himself. Two different things here. Just keep that in mind. See, if people won't worship the one true God, they say, they will worship someone or something else. Now, a lot of times we think of worship as bowing down before an idol or uh, things of that nature, but really, anything could become an object of worship. I mean, what do we spend our time and our priorities and our money? You may look around and think, well, America is getting less religious. No, I would tell you, America, in a way, is becoming more religious, just less Christian. You follow between the two definitions I just gave. Because you hear things say, well, I don't go to any organized religion, but I'm spiritual and I believe in God and everything's going to be okay. As I continue my walk through Revelation, I get very scared 
and concern because when God's plan runs its course and he is finished, he's going to bring everything to conclusion. As they say out there, God does not play. When he comes back, he's going to render judgment and pour out his wrath upon the rebellious creation. Now, tragically, man's longing to know God has been corrupted by his love of sin. And in up Satan, with the promise to bring man into the spiritual realm without having to give up sin or the pleasures of the world. How does he do this? Through false religions. As you see in our text, Babylon's description as the great harlot refers to the spiritual prostitution and fornication that categorizes the apostate church of the tribulation, which is unfaithful and rejects the Lord Jesus Christ. That is false religion. I'm, I'm going to repeat this a lot in this message, but I have to do so. If you hear anything else preached other than Christ, or is, is Christ plus something, or Christ is not enough, run and run hard. That is false. That is heresy. It's Jesus Christ is the only way that you and I can be in a justified relationship with God. Jesus Christ is the only way for salvation. And I know I'm speaking to a group that believes that, but turn on TV. Watch some of these evangelists, if you will, or people claiming to be a preacher and what they're telling people. And the people are saying amen and clapping. It's happening even now among us. Now as we look to the text, the fact that one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls comes to John and speaks this to him and shows him these things and invites John to see the punishment of the great harlot, that's evidence that chapters 17 and 18 relates to the seven bowls. Perhaps the seventh bowl is what we're seeing the effects of because on the seventh bowl, as last week, as we read, talks about the punishment of Babylon. Look at verse 1. I will show you the judgment of the great harlot. Now the Greek word translated there, harlot, and you see that New America, New American Standard, the New King James, it's translated prostitute and home and Christian in the NIV, it's pornea, and it denotes general sexual lynchedness. In other words, a disregard of accepted moral rules and standards. It implies or invokes a lack of moral restraint or self-control. That pornea is where we get our English word pornography. It covers more than just adultery. It covers all sexual immorality. And in fact, more than that, the lack of self-control in regards to those areas. Now, morphia is the, the word usually used for adultery. And it's a morally encompassing term that refers to reckless and immoral behavior in the sexual realm. So adultery is talking about the marriage relationship when one cheats on the spouse. Now, idolatry and unfaithfulness to God are always presented in terms of spiritual adultery. In our text this morning, this unfaithfulness is profound. The woman has established a way of life, which is the path of rebellion against God. Now, I looked at the Tyndale Bible Dictionary, 
and it defined idolatry as man-made images, man-made images or natural representations worship as deities. And the word prostitute or, prost, or prostitution was used figuratively as idolatry based on the marriage-like relationship that God has with his people. We are referred to many times as what? The, the bride of Christ. We're in covenant with Christ. He is our groom. You remember the, the parable or the story he told about the ten virgins? Back in those days, they were arranged marriages. And at that time, the man would have to pay the father of the girl a price because he's losing one of his children that could be helping taking care of chores around the house. So that once that price was paid, they were married for all intents and purposes, although the marriage hasn't been consummated yet. Then that young man would go back to his father's house and he would build a place for him and his new bride to live. And then he would come back to the village where his bride was to call her home. They would go back to the place that he built. They would go inside. They would consummate the marriage. A person get word of it. He would announce it to the crowd and they would celebrate for a week. A little different than what we do here in America. But the point is this. When that young man walked to that village, there was other young girls as well who had been betrothed in marriage and none of them knew, hey, is that, the, is that the boy? Is that my groom coming to get me? They didn't know. Because he was away building a place for them to live. Look what Jesus, what is Jesus doing now? He's preparing a place for you and I. And we are to be that bride looking with one eye up and going, is today the day? Is he coming to take us home? And always to be ready. Now when people, God's people, give their allegiance to idols rather than to God, he charged that they were prostitutes for other gods. For example, in Judges chapter 8, verse 33. Then it came about, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the sons of Israel played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal beareth their God. If you read the Old Testament, it's like a constant cycle. They're right with God. Everything's good. They're tempted. They start falling away from God. God brings judgment. He says, hey, you need to repent. He brings judgment. They get on the bottom. They finally repent. They turn back to God. Everything comes back with God. There's this constant circle going on. In the Old Testament, Israel struggled a lot with this. And I would suggest, or I would tell you this morning, that we also struggle in making God number one priorities in our lives. Now, as I thought about this, I thought about how God gives everybody the necessity or the requirements needed to have life. Irrespective of their relationship to him, God takes care of his creation. He's not an absentee landlord as Roger just stated, he commanded the sun to rise this morning. He'll command it to set. Man likes to call these laws of nature, to which I say, but who created the laws of nature? Who's the one that thought all this up? It was God. In fact, in 
uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, Jesus speaking, he says, He, referring to God the Father, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now the proper response to that should be gratitude. We should be thankful that God takes care of his creation. But people choose to ignore God and they come up with their own version of reality. Romans chapter 1 verses 21 through 23 For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, of man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. In other words, worshiping the creation rather than the creator. You can see that happening right here in America. People are worshiping the creation and not the creator. And me and my wife are having this discussion on the way here this morning. And a little side note i like to add is what we see happening, I believe, my opinion is, when you cheapen human life, when human life becomes nothing more than a result of some type of accident that happened, the Big Bang, then what flows out of it is what we see happening. In other words, people care more about their dogs and cats than they do their own children. People care more about, if I'm driving down the road and I see Dal Melissa in a car, either I swerve and hit them head on or I take out a cat, guess what? I'll take out that cat because their lives trump that. There is meaning and purpose for men's lives. Now, I don't think we should go around being cruel to animals. Don't misunderstand me. But we have cheapened human life. Half, what's it called, partial birth abortions? The baby's halfway out the birth canal. They take a, a rod and in the soft spot of the baby and then they scramble the brains. Or better yet, let the baby be born and let it sit there and cry until it finally dies. We're seeing a logical outcome of that type of thinking. In fact, Casting Crowns had a song out some years ago. I forget the title of it. But basically it said, when he comes back, will America be asleep? In other words, will America be sung to sleep with philosophies that hug the trees and kill the children? If we turn back to our text, the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now, some will take that Greek preposition translated on to be beside many waters. However, this is a case where the Bible will help us interpret what they mean. Look down at verse 15. Verse 15 tells us, The water which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. It tells us what it is. This is the importance of not only knowing what the Greek word means, but how it's being used in a sentence and in context. Now, in your English translations, do the same thing. Look around it. Look in how it's being used and then the context in which it's found. The Living Translation translate rules over. And I cannot stress this enough, the importance of knowing the vocabulary and the syntax and the context of the passage in which we're reading. 
be very weary about just taking one verse all out all by itself without the context, knowing the context in which you find it. In verse 2, it says, This great harlot, verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality. And you keep reading that verse, we see the result of that. Those who dwell on earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. Now the woman is running on the beast. We see that in verses 3 and 8. She is dependent upon the beast as a religious system, and she's in union with the beast. Now the fact that she is riding on the beast, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, would suggest an unwholesome uh, union of church and state. As we find out, the beast represents the political entity of the last days. Do we see that happening now? Oh, I'm getting in trouble for this. There are churches in the United States and here in Texas that do not speak against transgender or any of that movement whatsoever. They say they are accepting. Is that what the Bible teaches? No. Now, we need to reach out with them in love and compassion. Say, you're more than welcome to come here and we'll teach you and we'll love on you. But we're not going to say that's okay. And we saw in COVID a little bit, John MacArthur, the, the pastor out there in California, they took a stand against COVID, and the state of California came after them. By the way, they won that lawsuit. He won a lot of money out of it. You should read that story. But here's a case where the state is trying to manipulate the churches. You can't open. In fact, there are many cases, if you like to know, I'll go back and get my notes from it and show you, many cases where churches were having a drive-in service like we did back on Easter 2020, and some of the state came and said, you can't do that. What do you mean I can't do it? They're in their cars. We're separated. We're in cars. I'm up here. They can't hear. But once again, I'm telling you, you see it. You look, you'll see it just how the state is slowly but surely trying to manipulate the church. And the result of that is the intoxication of all the peoples of the earth. Now he says that he took him in by the Spirit to a wilderness. Some people use that to say he's actually talking about the actual ancient Babylon, but the text does not say that. He goes out, he sees, what does he see? Look in verse 3. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full or covered with blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. This is the beast that we read about back in chapter 13. And like I just said, it represents the political entity of the last days. Look at verse 4. Give us more of a description. This woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. Now, purple and scarlet are colors of royalty. Look how she's dressed or how she's decked out with gold, precious stones, and pearls. This is speaking to the incredible wealth in which she possesses. But look back down in your passage, if you will. How does it describe the cup? It's gold. A gold cup, but what is a gold cup filled with? Abominations, 
and the unclean things of her morality or impurities. In other words, on the outside it looked good, but on the inside it was full of filthiness. That reminded me of something Jesus said back in Matthew 23, 25, and 26. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so the outside of it may become clean also. This, as a note, as I saw that gold cup, it was gold, but what John will say it's full of. Maybe this was, no, I know what it was. God was dealing with me in some things in my life. He said, tell him what's in your cup. It'll look good on the outside, but let's talk about what's in the inside of it. See, I'm, I guess I'm dressed okay. I took a shower last night. I combed my hair, and to you, I may look okay. But how's my heart? How's my walk with Christ? And then the next important question after that, how's my relationship with my wife over here? See, a lot of times we get so busy looking on the outside, we forget that what's most important is what's on the inside. We cannot work our way up. You cannot change from the outside in. God changes from the inside out. I heard a lot of people tell me, Oh, now you're just stepping on my toes. No, that's aiming way too low. God's aiming for your heart. Because if he changes your heart, everything else will follow. Verse 5, more description of this woman. On her forehead a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Now, generally, in Scripture, mystery does not refer to some unsolved mystery or like a crime needs to be solved. Rather, it's referring to something that we cannot discern for ourselves as human beings. God had to reveal it to us. And there's many passages that talk about this. Paul talks about this mystery that we made known to about the Lord and his church, the relationship between the Lord and his church. That had to be revealed by God. But this mystery was known... Elsewhere in the, new, in the ancient world, it was used to talk about these mystery religions that go way back since the beginning of time. And evidently, this is to identify the woman in some way to those mystery religions. Look at the title, Babylon the Great links her directly to the circumstances associated with a man-centered development, a man-centered faith that was developed back in ancient Babylon. You can read this back in Genesis chapter 10 and chapter 11. Particularly in those two chapters, you read about an event called the Tower of Babel. You remember the story. Basically, I'm on highlight. Man gets together, these people get together, say, hey, let's build a tower. Therefore, we build it tall enough, we'll just climb right on into heaven. Man-centered. Now, the reference here, Babylon the Great, it's not just talking about that tower, but it's really getting out this faith that was man-centered that opposed the revealed faith of God. This is what's driving this. This Babylon the Great, this woman is representing this false religion, if you will, that opposes the revealed faith of God. 
And Corlicia is called the mother of all harlots and the abominations of the earth. In other words, Babylon the Great and Mystery Religions constitute or compromise the mother of all unfaithfulness. Verse 6, he says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. She is the persecutor of the saints, literally in the Greek, holy ones. How many people, let's just do this, raise, it with, raise your hand with a purpose. Now, how many people in this room have given their lives to Christ, you're justified in the eyes of God, you're a follower of Christ, raise your hand like you mean it. Don't be shy. You are saints. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus said on the cross, and you've claimed that for yourself, believing in faith in Christ. She's a persecutor. And this persecution is not hasty, it's not briefing, it's not passing. It's determined and repeated with little or no interruption. She's persecuting the saints. So if you stand up and say you're wrong, guess what happens? Now this all goes back to how you see the rapture of the church. Pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. There's so much more I could get into right now, but for time purposes, I can't. So I'm going to say come to Table Talk on the 20th, and we can talk more about these issues in depth. There's so much here. So how you see the book and the tribulation, a lot of these things come into play when you go further into the book is my point. But look at the last part of verse 6. John says, when I saw her, I wondered greatly, or Lily with great wonder. Now, (laughs) after all 16 chapters, he sees something now that takes his breath away. (coughs) Excuse me, and I can't help but think, after seeing all these visions, why at this moment in time did he write, I wondered greatly. Well, John, after all what you've seen, why now? Well, this is where I would have to give Dr. Paige Patterson some credit, his commentary, because I agree with him. Basically, John would understand about the world and the world system, if you will, opposing God based on his own understanding of the Old Testament that he read about in his lifetime and based upon his own personal experiences. I mean, let's face it, he was exiled on the island of Patmos. So he he could understand that. But perhaps he's bewildered, astonished, or his breath is taken away by the character of this woman. And this is where I would agree with Dr. Patterson. What he is so astonished about is this religious system that's claiming to be something that is not. Therefore, the word unfaithfulness or harlot is used with regard to this woman. In other words, John is astonished at this system that claims to be true. It's false. And in the process, leading many people down the same path. The strong imagery and converging the ideas of deceit and wickedness may suggest a religious system claiming to represent the true God while actually doing the work 
of Satan. That concerns me greatly. And that's what I've been thinking about for the past week or so. People, churches, movements, religious systems, wherever Tali will use her, who claim to represent their one true God, but the reality is they're leading people right down a wicked path to destruction. Meanwhile, to the praises of people clapping and saying amen. A few years back, there was a prominent, I'm not going to tell you who it was, if you want to know, ask me after, and it's on video. This prominent pastor was preaching to a room full of people, and he's walking through the creation account in Genesis. And he said, he created all the animals after their kind. So dogs made dogs, birds make birds, cats make cats, so on and so forth. But he says, when God said, let us make man in our image, that God has now put himself under a different principle. And he went on to say, because of that, when two gods get together, they make a little god. And then he said this, you are a little god. The only thing mortal about you or man about you is that body. And some of you can't handle the truth. To the applause and the standing ovation of many in the room. Dearly beloved, that is false. That is heresy. That's just one small piece that I can share with you on top that I've seen and heard for myself. Like I said, it's on video. You can watch it yourself. It's even on YouTube. Even me, when I stand up here, and I know I stutter sometimes, and I don't talk very clearly. I'm, God's working to me, help me with that. But what am I saying? What's the content? Make sure that I'm preaching the truth. Now, if you have a question after any of my messages, I'll gladly talk to you. Let's sit down. Let's open the Word together. First of all, you actually paid attention. Hell, all right. Second of all, let's spend time breaking open the Word. But I hope and pray, if I stood here this morning and told you there's no way of salvation, believe in Charlie Brown, one of you would stand up and say, no, you're wrong. Because that is so, that's such a huge heresy that you should stand up because you're responsible too as sitting in the pew of making sure the truth is being proclaimed. But in order to know what the truth is, you have to read the Bible and study the Bible. Because see, when it happens out there in the real world, it won't be something that erroneous that you say, that's wrong. It's going to be a little nugget of truth twisted just enough. And my favorite illustration is the book of Ephesians. Women, submit yourselves as unto the Lord. To which they'll make the conclusion, the problem with marriages today is the women are not submitting to their husbands. Whoa, 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 time out. What does the verse right after that say? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Huge qualification there. But in order to know that, you have to know the context at which it falls. So I just, I know most of you do this already. I just want to encourage you to Continue reading the Bible on your own. Study. Memorize it. Meditate upon it. Because, you see, I, I was blessed to go to seminary, and I, I, God stretched me the whole time through my seminary experience. 
But greater than any seminary degree that you could achieve, you have something far more powerful, and that is the Holy Spirit that will illuminate Scriptures for you. It takes time. Dig and dig deep. This church that will rise during the tribulation will be unfaithful and rejects the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11-13, through 13, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ, Jesus Christ. Now if, anyone, if any builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And it's not Jesus plus anything. It is Jesus. He is the foundation in which our faith is built. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. Remember, it's Satan who's behind all these false religions. And through lies, deception, and supernatural powers, the working of signs, he will draw many. He will take all these different religions at the end of time and draw them all together into one. Just as they were scattered back in the time of the Tower of Babel, they all come together as one. Satan has always desired to be worshipped, and during the end times he will be. However, that false religion is headed for destruction, and all who follow it will be going right down the same road to destruction as well. Don't believe the lies of the enemy that tell you you can enjoy the sins of the world without consequence or that you don't need Jesus as the only way to heaven. There's a time coming and coming soon. There's two choices you can make. Cry out in faith in Jesus and let what he did on the cross cover your sins. He paid that debt. Or you can pay for your own at the end of time and spend all of eternity in hell. The choice is yours. John 14, 6, Jesus speaking, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Acts 4, 12, there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6 for there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. The gospel is coming out in Revelation. And once again, you know, where, are you, where do you stand on the rapture? Pre, middle, post? I'm beginning to think, oh, I'm, I'm out of here. But you see it creeping. Yeah, what do you believe? I mean, seriously, what do, in, in, the, in the deepest reaches of your heart, what do you believe? You know, the way they used to believe back in the New Testament times, you said, I believe this. Not only does that mean you should believe it here, but you believe it here and your ethics would follow afterwards. In other words, if I say I believe in Christ, then my life should reflect the that I believe in Christ. And we say, are you saved past tense? Well, you're justified, but then becomes the act of sanctification. We become more and more like Christ every day. What is God calling you to? Some of you in this room are being called into some type of vocational ministry. 
You know, it does still happen, by the way. But you've forgotten your position in Christ. As we said this morning, you can't, you can't add to that. That's your position. God's calling you. In my own personal experience, he didn't give me anything up front. He said, okay, Tim, you trust me. See, Richard, are you willing to say yes to this, not knowing what it's going to cost and what's going to happen? I'll tell one on Tammy. She came home that night. I said, I surrendered the ministry. She goes, what does that mean? I said, I have no idea. I didn't. Little did we know all that was involved. But God has been there every step of the way. Even when I bounced off the wrong way, he was still there drawing me to himself but even so God is drawing you all and myself included into a deeper relationship I cannot emphasize this enough time is growing short this is going to happen we need to prepare ourselves we need to be out there shining the light into the darkness People are out there looking for hope. They're looking for anything. And they're believing the lie of the enemy. But before you do any of that, you know what you first have to do? You need to pray. And pray and pray and pray. When's the last time you prayed for someone who's lost? When's the last time you prayed with somebody in this room? I know what's going on right now. God is telling you to go across the room and pray for somebody, but you don't want to do that because you're afraid of what people might say. Now, how can you say that to me? Because I've been there myself. Please, whatever God's asking you to do, you be obedient to it in this time and this moment. Seize the opportunity. Seize the moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, it concerns us, it even frightens us when we read about the last days. But Father, we are comforted with the fact that you hold us in your hands that nothing can snatch us out. That our salvation is bought and paid for. But Father, we know you're not done yet. We know that you're faithful to continue the work that you started in each one of us. Father, we know there's more that need to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us reject all our preconceived notions and ideas. Father, we will let go. As the song says, let go of our fear like sand falls through our fingertips. Father, these are your people. This is your bride. May your spirit continue to work in and through every one of us. 
May your will be done. In Christ's name we pray.